if we could open with a word of prayer, please. Our Father, we do come before you this morning rejoicing for the privilege we have to gather as the body of Christ. Lord, thank you for your scriptures and the wisdom and the truth that is contained therein. Pray that you would guide us in our understanding this morning, to help us to see clearly what you're communicating through this fifth chapter of Daniel. And Lord, that we would uh, take it and apply it to our lives and become more like Christ. That's our desire in coming together this morning, Lord. May you be pleased and may you be praised by all that's done in this place. And we desire to give you glory and honor for you alone deserve. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this is week number 13 in our study of the book of Daniel. And this morning we'll be over beginning chapter 5. Last time we finished chapter 4, which is uh, really the whole chapter is a proclamation by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, really to the whole world. He says to all peoples and all nations. And uh, this proclamation of Nebuchadnezzar, you remember, began with a um, praise of God and ended with praise of God. And in the middle, he talks about a vision that he had, that Daniel came and interpreted the vision, uh, telling him that he would go insane for uh, seven periods of time that ultimately came true for Nebuchadnezzar. He did go crazy um, and uh, basically acted like an animal. He ate grass. He stayed in the fields. He was drenched with uh, the rain and the dew. His fingernails grew like bird's claws. His hair grew like eagle's feathers. Um, we talked about that. You know, hair in seven years could be four feet long. His fingernails could easily have been eight inches long. So he very much could have been exactly what is described uh, in the book of Daniel. And ultimately, God said that he would stay in that period of insanity until he came to recognize that heaven rules, that God is sovereign over the affairs of men and over the inhabitants of the earth. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes to that realization only by the grace of God as he gives him his mind back. And I believe, based on what Nebuchadnezzar says, he says that, you know, previously he had called the one true God the God of Daniel, and then he called him the God of um, Daniel's three friends. But in that chapter, he says, this is what God has done for me. And so he is personally involved with God at that point. I believe he uh, becomes a true believer that through the influence of Daniel and through what God did to humble him, um, that he recognized who God was and actually came to know the one true God in a personal way. Um, can't prove that, but just based upon what he says, it certainly seems that way. And again, this whole proclamation is really um, to let the whole world know those truths that he had learned, that God is sovereign, that he uh, is involved in the affairs of men, and that he sets in authority whomever he wills, whomever he pleases to. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to broadcast, really, to the whole world. Now, the reason I go back and review that is because Daniel will use those lessons that 
Nebuchadnezzar learned to address Belshazzar, who is the king in chapter 5. So um, he'll, he'll use those exact um, truths to direct his conversation to Belshazzar. So after the end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is not mentioned again in the book of Daniel, except for as the forefather of Belshazzar. We'll see that as we go through chapter 5. That's the only mention of him. So, um, and we'll see this morning that he's, he's off the scene. He's out of the, um, he's probably died, uh, gone on, so he's been succeeded, and then um, Belshazzar has been established as king. So we'll begin this morning, um, let's just read verse 1, because I've got some things to, to say about this and who Belshazzar is and how he got to be king. So Daniel 5.1, Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. Okay, so Belshazzar is named as the king here. And we assume, because the whole book up to this point has been about Babylon, that he's the king of Babylon. As a matter of fact, we'll see that that is true as we go on through here. Now, um, he, in verse 2, he's identified as the son of Nebuchadnezzar. But according to the best of our understanding, he's not really the son. The better way to say is he's an ancestor or he's a descendant. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was his ancestor, was his forefather, not his father as we think of someone being your father, uh, meaning he wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's child uh, because up until 1854, there was no record of Belshazzar anywhere that could be found other than in the book of Daniel. I mean, certainly the book of Daniel has been read for, um, you know, a very long time since the 600s BC. And then there was a, a historian named um, Xenophon who wrote, but he wrote, a, he's a Greek historian, but he wrote a hundred years after uh, Daniel is writing here. He, he was born in 530 BC, so he's part of the Grecian Empire, and so he wrote not about things that he knew personally, but about things that people told him had happened. And he mentions Belshazzar in his, what is known as the um, Cryopedia, um, is his history of what happened back in the time of Nebuchadnezzar and up through the Grecian Empire. So those were the only two places that you could find anything about Belshazzar until 1854. And in 1854, um, men studying the Babylonian cuneiforms found reference to Belshazzar. So since 1854, we've had confirmation, if you will, that this man Belshazzar actually was king of Babylon. Now, we, we take it the other way. I mean, men say, well, that confirms that the Bible is correct, right? Well, we take it the other way. Uh, of course, we believe the Bible is true, 
and all the things that men continue to find simply proves that the Bible is true and that this book was written in the 600s by, um, by Daniel and God was predicting what would happen in the future. And the story about Belshazzar written by Daniel because he was personally involved was actually true and now the Babylonian cuneiforms confirmed that. And, but it's always been true. Um, so, um, anyway, the man who became king, according to the cuneiforms, after Nebuchadnezzar was a man named Nabonidus. And he was not a direct descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, best we can find out, but he became the king. He was king from 855, sorry, 585 to 539 BC. So he came after Nebuchadnezzar. He was king, but in 550, he went into exile. And he set his son, who was Belshazzar, as really co-regent. While he was in exile, he remained the king, but he set Belshazzar and trusted him with his throne. So Belshazzar, um, we think maybe the reason why Nebuchadnezzar is referred to as his forefather, because Nebuchadnezzar, um, Belshazzar's mom, uh, name is, I've got it written down here, let me try and find it, uh, Nidocris, and they believe that Nidocris is the mother of Nebuchadnezzar, of Belshazzar, having been the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. So a forefather would be Nebuchadnezzar, and then his descendant would be, through his daughter, would be Belshazzar. So Daniel simply calls him his son, but you know that's the way that English interprets it. It would be better understood as Nebuchadnezzar being not his father, but his forefather. So just as you go through this, it's, it's good to know those kind of things because people would debunk the book of Daniel saying, well, Daniel, uh, Belshazzar was not Nebuchadnezzar's son. And that's true. He wasn't, but there's explanation there in the interpretation that he's his forefather. So anyway, uh, just to make sure that we understand that, and that you have something to speak to those who would try and debunk Daniel. And there are a lot of people. I would say the majority of the writings about Daniel say that Daniel did not write in 600 BC. It was written in the 100s, maybe the 200s, by an imposter who called himself Daniel. Um, so we disagree with that, clearly um, believing that Daniel wrote this book. So the date of this chapter is the end of the Babylonian empire. By the time this chapter is over, Belshazzar is dead, and the Babylonian empire has been captured by the Medes and the Persians. Okay, so the year is 539 BC, meaning that Belshazzar has been king for about 11 years, having become king in 550 BC. So um, that's kind of the time frame. So you know that what we read about Nebuchadnezzar 
and the end of his life, really, those years of insanity and then back into power, was before um, 555 B.C. So um, Daniel is now, when we come to this chapter, he's at least 80 years old. He's probably 82, 83 years old. Um, he's been in Babylon a very long time. Remember, he was uh, taken to Babylon in 605 B.C., uh, probably when he was somewhere between 14 and 16 years old, uh, about the same age as Ezekiel. So now Daniel is old. He's over 80 years old, which in those days would have been very, very old. So um, we, that's the setting for chapter 5 of Daniel. So we'll go on and, and read how the story comes out. You see that Belshazzar is giving a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And that would just mean the aristocrats, really, of his day, the people who were in the know. And so he's throwing this big party in his palace. Verse 2 continues, When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Okay, so here's the setting being this great feast, um, getting drunk with wine. Um, as far as we know, this had never been done before. Um, Belshazzar calls for the really the utensils that had been taken from the house of God back in Jerusalem, bring those out and let us drink out of those. And so you remember back when we looked at the introduction to Daniel, we talked about the different uh, raids and the capturing of people that Nebuchadnezzar did in Jerusalem. And each one of those times, uh, the scripture indicates that he took some of the utensils or the cups or whatever from the temple of God. So I want to show you that just so you can see and tie these things together. So look over in Second Chronicles chapter 36. And we looked at this before, but it's always nice to go back and see how the scriptures all tie together especially the history that's given in the books of First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings. Basically, those books parallel one another, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, and they give the history of what happened during the period of the kings. And so there's a lot of detail in the Chronicles, really fascinating stuff that we've looked back at a couple of times. This is how we knew that Josiah was the king of Judah when um, Ezekiel and Daniel were born, that they lived under the best king 
that the scripture says that the Israelites ever had, and that includes King David and Solomon, all, I mean, it says that Josiah was the best king they ever had. And you remember he reinstituted um, true worship, he reinstituted the Passover, um, he, the scriptures say he executed or obeyed the, um, the writings of Moses to the greatest degree of any of the kings. And so this is how Ezekiel came to have his good faith. Is and so all of that's contained in Chronicles. But I want to look at chapter 36, the very last verse of second, uh, chapter of Second Chronicles. And look at verses 5 through 7. You remember some of this from our introduction. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him with bronze chains to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also brought some of the articles of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in the temple in Babylon. So there's the, the first seizure of some of the utensils out of the temple. This is the second time that um, Nebuchadnezzar had captured people and taken them. Uh, eight years prior to this in 605 BC, he took um, Daniel and some other nobles with him. This time he comes and he takes the king who has been reigning for 11 years. Um, that's eight years after Daniel was taken into captivity. Ezekiel is taken in this raid. And he takes some of the utensils, and he takes other people back with him. Then you keep reading down in verse, you will just keep reading from where I left off in verse seven. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and the abomination which he did and what was found against him Behold, they are written in the book of kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiakim, his son, became king in his, Jehoiachin, his son, became king in his place. Jehoiachin was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. At the turn of the year, at the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the valuable articles of the house of the Lord, and he made his kinsman, Jedekiah, king over Judah and Jerusalem. And we talked about this. Why was it so easy for Nebuchadnezzar to come in? Well, the king was only eight years old. And again, you see that he takes valuable articles from the house of God. Good. 18? Really? In verse 9, Jehoiachin was 8 years old? 18, okay. Yeah, so we have a, a dispute, right? And we'd have to go back, and I did do this, go back and trace the very births of these guys. And um, whether he's 8 or 18, he's very young, and he's got the king of the world coming against him. And he's only been king for three months. So um, we'll let that lay for right now. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, we do have multiple copies of scriptures back in these times, right? And uh, so um, we could go and trace, because if you go to the book of Kings, and you go, um, it gives the genealogies. And so we could figure out how old he really is. Um, okay, so we, you see the second time Nebuchadnezzar takes articles as he's taking people back. All right, then the final time when they come and they destroy the temple that Solomon built. Okay, because that's the temple we're talking about, the one that Solomon built. Um, and they burn the temple, they tear down the walls of Jerusalem, they burn the gates, they totally desolate the city. They leave it in desolation. Um, the book of um, Lamentations describes what the city looked like after that destruction and there you have actual you can read it for yourself in lamentations cannibalism going on because there's nothing else to eat um, so horrific horrific scene that's lamentations is jeremiah walking through the streets of jerusalem after it's been destroyed and just lamenting um, what had happened but keep reading in chapter 36 of Second Chronicles, down in verse 17, and you'll see what happened before they burned the temple. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, this is God bringing up Nebuchadnezzar, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand, all the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. So now you've got all the utensils that were in the temple that Solomon built going to Babylon. And I believe God did that so that he could protect the articles. Otherwise, they would have been destroyed, they would have been burned in the fire, they would no longer exist, but he had Nebuchadnezzar take them to Babylon so that they would be preserved for when the Israelites go back to Judah and, and rebuild the temple, the temple built by Zerubbabel, that they can take some of the articles with them. And so um, God here preserving the articles but having the temple destroyed. So we see clearly that this statement that Belshazzar could drink from the articles links back to the history that's given in the scriptures also of what Nebuchadnezzar did when he destroyed Jerusalem. He took all the articles. So the articles have been in Babylon for a long time. Um, some of them at the beginning in 605, some of them later in 597, and then some of them later in the 580s when they destroyed Jerusalem. So, but they're all in Babylon. So Belshazzar calls for these uh, utensils to be brought in, the cups really, so that they can drink wine from them during his great party that he's throwing. And so they do that in verses, we're back over in uh, Daniel chapter five, in verses three and four, they actually drink the wine from these utensils that have been dedicated to the one true God. And in doing that, they also then 
give praise to the gods of silver and gold and bronze and wood and iron. I mean, all these gods that aren't true gods. And so they're worshiping their idols by drinking wine out of the utensils that have been dedicated to God um, and praising their idols. So um, a great abomination in the sight of God. And God kind of draws the line there and says, that, that's it. Um, so while they're partying, this hand appears and the fingers of the hand begin writing on the wall. Now you remember this story probably if you grew up in church. And um, the king becomes, uh, he sees it, obviously, he sees it being written, and he becomes very alarmed. And verse 6 is almost comical, if you will. It says, Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. So not only is he frightened, becomes pale, but he's affected physically by his fear of this hand that's writing on the wall. So uh, certainly all the people who would have been there with him uh, would have had the same reaction because here's this hand. It says it's a man's hand, so it's probably not huge. You know, it's the size of a man's hand, and it's writing on the wall this inscription. So um, keep reading. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Now, um, that would be a great reward. And this sounds very familiar, is it not? This is what Nebuchadnezzar always did. He called in these wise men who, as happens here, had the same problem. You keep reading, then the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then the king, then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his face grew even paler and his nobles were perplexed. So all the people there are overcome with what does this mean? This hand has come and written this inscription on the wall that nobody can read, nobody can interpret, nobody knows what it means. And um, so surprisingly, uh, Belshazzar's, I assume, his wife comes in and tries to calm him down and begins to, I, I don't know why she knows this and he doesn't. Uh, actually, the scripture will later say that he does know this, but um, anyway, she comes in and tries to calm the situation in verse 10. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, 
like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. So the king's wife comes in and says, why are you getting so upset? There is a guy who can tell you exactly what this inscription means. And you notice that she goes back to the language that Nebuchadnezzar originally used and says that there's a spirit of the holy gods in him. So she doesn't know the one true God like Nebuchadnezzar came to know him. She refers to um, all the gods of their mythology at that time and says that there's a spirit in this guy from those gods and he can interpret dreams. So she doesn't know the one true God, but she believes that Daniel can interpret this handwriting. She says he will interpret it. So it's interesting that like Nebuchadnezzar, even though Nebuchadnezzar is the one who named him Belteshazzar, he called him Daniel. This wife of King Belshazzar does the same thing. She calls him by his Hebrew name, Daniel, instead of Belteshazzar, called Daniel to you. So um, God, being faithful to Daniel, allowed him to be called by his Hebrew name his whole life. Even here towards the end, they're still referring to him as Daniel. So, it, you know, you wonder, why is it that this wife remembers that Daniel exists, but Belteshazzar does not? Because clearly, um, being aged to be the king, having been the king for 11 years, having his father set him as king, after only five years of being king himself, Belteshazzar would have remembered the proclamation of, of Nebuchadnezzar. He would have remembered that Daniel is the one who came in and uh, gave the interpretation of the dream. So, I mean, he knows all of this. He should have known all of this, but maybe because he's drunk with wine, um, he doesn't remember it, and so his wife comes in and explains it to him. Um, believing that Daniel can interpret this handwriting that's on the wall. Um, everybody very alarmed, very overcome. And so the king follows the advice of his wife. And in verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The, sp the king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? So the king wants to make sure he's got the right guy. Because remember, Daniel, very old at this point. Um, now I've heard about you, that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, 
and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I have personally have heard about you that you were able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now if you are able to read the inscription and make known its interpretation, make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority in the, as the third ruler in the kingdom. Now you gotta remember who he's talking to, right? He's talking to Daniel, who under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar was second ruler in the kingdom, um, in charge of the province of Babylon with his friends underneath him. So this being third ruler is no big deal to Daniel because he's already had the power and the esteem and um, you know all these, if, if any of those um, conjurers and diviners have lived as long as Daniel, they know about Daniel. As a matter of fact, probably even the young ones know about Daniel um, because this king's wife knew about Daniel and so his you know, reputation had preceded him. And um, this king says, I've been told about you. Actually, you should say, I remember you, um, because he would have been there when Nebuchadnezzar made his proclamation to the whole world. And so he asks him, says that he will clothe him with purple and put a necklace around his neck and make him third ruler. And, and Daniel's response, you know, he's a little put out. In verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make known the interpret make the interpretation known to him. So Daniel says, forget about the gifts, okay? I don't need them. He's already wealthy. Nebuchadnezzar made him extremely wealthy. He doesn't need anything from, from Belshazzar. Um, so we're not going to get to it this morning, this, what Daniel does, but interestingly, Daniel does not read the writing on the wall and interpret it as the next thing he does. He goes back and he recounts what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in that uh, period of seven or seven periods of time, which I believe are years. Um, he goes back and he recounts in detail what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And the question comes to my mind is why does he do that? Why does he go back and, and tell Belshazzar, who should already know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in those seven periods of time? And I think he has two reasons that I'll tell you next time, okay? Because I, I don't want to, I can't get through it all. And verse, chapter 5 leads into chapter 6 because chapter 5 ends with the Medes and the Persians killing Belshazzar and taking over the kingdom. And then chapter 6 starts with a man named Darius who is a Mede. So they, they tie together. There really is no break in the thoughts there. 
So we'll finish chapter 5, if the Lord wills, and move into chapter 6 next time. And there's a reason, there's a couple of them at least, that Daniel goes back and recounts what happened to Nebuchadnezzar so Belshazzar will understand it again. And um, I'll tell you that the, the sins of Belshazzar are the same as the sins of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and so we'll specify those next time. So I appreciate your time this morning. Uh, if the Lord wills, we'll pick up in chapter five, uh, chapters end of five and beginning of six next time. Thank you.